Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 44 of Painting the Corners with Anton Schindler, brought to you by 90.5 KCSU. As I'm sure you're all aware, baseball is officially back. On March 10th, 2022, Major League Baseball and the Players Association finalized and signed a new collective bargaining agreement that will last until December 2026, putting an end to the 99-day MLB lockout once and for all. That means, over the past week and a half, we've had spring training baseball to listen to, and, starting April 7th, regular season baseball to kick off the full 162-game season. Now, there have been such a flurry of free agent signings and trades since this new CBA was released, and it's been awesome to watch. It's just been so exciting every single moment of it. I mean, there were a lot of new changes that came with the new CBA that will change baseball this season and possibly pretty far into the future as well. On the money side of things, the new five-year CBA includes increased minimum salaries, as well as a new pre-arbitration bonus pool, which will be used to reward the top young players in the game. And there will be a raise in competitive balance tax thresholds, evening out teams and their money disparity a little bit more. Also, the MLB will introduce a new draft lottery system, and a new system built to prevent any alleged service time manipulation and limits on the number of times a player can be optioned in a season to address any concerns regarding roster churn. Some new rules that came out of the talks include a universal designated hitter, meaning that the National League will now have a designated hitter, just like the American League, and the playoffs have been expanded to include 12 teams, two more than usual. There's a few other rules taking effect later on in 2023, including the adoption of a pitch clock, making the bases bigger, making an automatic strike and ball zone, also known as a robo-ump if you're wondering, and getting rid of the shift altogether. This is just a quick look at some of the new changes that came with the brand new collective bargaining agreement, but I highly recommend reading through it to get the full picture, because there are a couple other rules and stuff like that that are actually worth kind of paying attention to. Regardless, the important thing about all of this is, baseball is back. There will be no missed games to this season. And all teams will start either April 7th or April 8th in pursuit of playoff baseball once again. Now, I think that I speak for just about every baseball fan when I say, oh boy, we missed you baseball. Anyway, let's get into this week's episode, which admittedly is a bit of a strange one. Today, we're talking about the San Jose Bees, who were and still are an independent league baseball club from 1962 to present day. The name was changed a few times in their history, before the team became the San Jose Giants, the present-day low-A minor league affiliate for the San Francisco Giants. Back in the mid-1980s, the independent league baseball team received the name the San Jose Bees 
after a one-year stint as the San Jose Expos, when the club was the Montreal Expos' main Class A advanced affiliate. The Bees kept their name from 1983 to 1988, before becoming the present-day San Jose Giants. In the 60-year history of the team, the Class A ball club has developed around 190 Major League players, from Buster Posey and Tim Lincecum to Pablo Sandoval, Madison Bumgardner, and Adam Duvall. This team has seen a lot of success as well, with 10 league titles, with the oldest coming in 1962 and the newest in 2021, and 9 division titles as well. However, for a stretch there, this team really struggled and was frankly weird. From 1983 to 1987, the Bees couldn't win more than 56 games, save the 1986 season where the team went 65-77, and 77, just a year before the team lost 109 games. Now, the Bees in this era, from 1986 to 1987, was really just a huge melting pot of players. Some were ex-professional baseball players that had time in the MLB, some were players from overseas, and some were players that had dreams, hopes, aspirations of making it to the big leagues. Some of the big leaguers coming down to the team included Mike Norris, the 31-year-old that had a 22-win season and came runner-up in the 1980 American League Cy Young Award. Ken Wright, who was the 1980 National League All-Star starting third baseman from the St. Louis Cardinals, and Steve Howe, the 1980 NL Rookie of the Year, in his time with the Dodgers. Steve McCaddy, the 1981 AL leader in wins in ERA. Todd Cruz, the starting third baseman for the 1983 World Championship Orioles. And a couple other had-been-great names populated this team as well. They were all down in the B's organization for pretty much the same reason. Drug abuse. But all of these players kind of just wanted another chance at professional baseball. One that was given by the young general manager Harry Stavrinos, or Harry Steve as he was later called. Steve was given the job based on a lot of networking <laughs> between other baseball clubs and other jobs that he had. He moved around from a marketing job during college to an assistant manager and eventually at the age of 26, he was asked to be the general manager for the San Jose Bees. Steve was given a bit of a failing team, too. After a bad result in 1982, Steve was given a team that was without a major league affiliation, with little money, and really this huge melting pot of players that were set to help him earn it back. Steve used his connections to get five players from the Cebu Lions in Japan, as well as $25,000 to contribute to their salaries. The deals he worked out with players were based, for the most part, on promises, as Steve was really just giving these guys a place to play, to hopefully get back into the sport that they loved. But kind of an example of this is Kenny Foster, who was one of the players that was signed to the team for one reason, and really one reason only. He had a car. 
and unlike almost all the other players on the team, his license hadn't been suspended for various reasons. So, Foster used his car to help transport the team to games. With a band of misfits and players fresh out of rehab, Harry Steve set out to find a manager, who would be 18-year-old coaching veteran Frank Verdi. Now, Verdi turned down the job as he was offered a job with the Yankees, and after some discussion, including Verdi trying to get his son to be the manager for the team, Harry Steve decided that he'd just put on another hat and become the manager of that squad as well. However, even that did not last long for the young GM. At one point in the season, Steve received a call from the National Association of Baseball for the California League, telling him to not pitch Steve Howe that night, who was at the time one of the better pitchers on the Bs. The reason behind it was that Howe actually failed a drug test. But Steve, frustrated with this call, called Howe and asked him if he could pitch that night anyway. Now, after a decent performance from the pitcher, Harry got a call the very next day from the office that resulted in an indefinite suspension from the game for Harry, as you can imagine. Later on in that season, Steve was up in the stands watching the game since he really couldn't do anything else for the team. Now, during that game, some drunken fans recognized the old manager and started to heckle him. The Bees players started to yell at the fans, trying to get them to stop heckling, but they just continued to do it. Now, after the end of the inning, like literally after the end of the inning, a couple of the Bees players decided to end it once and for all by scaling the fence and brawling with the fans. Now, as you can imagine, that didn't really go over well, with locals saying, we don't want these drug addicts in our town, and so on and so forth. Now, you can imagine that a team of ex-Major League Baseball players, many of which were phenoms in their prime, would draw in thousands of fans every single night. But because of the problems all of these players and the team had, I mean, they could barely draw in a couple hundred fans per game. The bees found themselves in the national spotlight, portrayed as almost zoo animals, and given the name the Bad Nose Bees or the Bad News Bees, as they were later called. But the bees continued to play on. Some of the pitchers, like Norris, went 4-3 with a 144 ERA in his 11 starts. He struck out 62 batters in that time. Howe, after serving a shorter suspension, had a 147 ERA over 49 innings with 37 strikeouts of his own. And I think it's important to point these guys out because it kind of puts into perspective the kinds of players that were on this team. I mean, they were good. They were really good, in fact. But because of the problem that they were getting themselves into, no major league team wanted them. They could not be forgiven for that abuse that they showcased when they were in the major leagues on their first go-around. I mean, there were so many players that disobeyed Harry and still went out and drank heavily. Many more of these players were on their way out of baseball. Older guys that were good at one point, but couldn't turn it around afterwards. And as players came and went, they kind of started to fall out of the team, as more would just come in for another chance. This constant turnaround of players led to 
a 65 and 77 win loss record, which looking at it honestly isn't that bad seeing what was going on with this team during the season. This was also way better than any of the seasons leading up to it, to be fair, but still bad enough for fourth place in the division. The constant movement of players led to only three of the 15 former Major League players coming back to the team that next season in 1987, and it kind of showed. Now, although more fans started to attend more games after hearing about the circus act that was the 1986 Bs, the huge loss of Major League-level talent really took a hit on the ball club. By the end of the 1987 season, the Bees finished with 33 wins and 109 losses, 61 games out of first place. It was around that point that the Bees were scooped up by the San Francisco Giants and rebranded to be the San Jose Giants and finally given the affiliation that they needed. And as it turned out, a couple players moved on, others went to other teams, and a few stayed with the club. But regardless, it was the first and the last time that this melting pot of misfits were together. To say that this team was bad is a bit of an understatement, admittedly. I mean, the Bees had lost 259 games in just three seasons after their last winning season in 1979. I mean, by the time that the Giants took them in, rebranded them, the Bees had lost 443 games and won only 264. A kind of scary stat. But all that aside, I think it really is just a case of what this team represented that makes this story so special. I mean, this team truly was just the misfits. A bunch of old, washed-up ballplayers mixed with young talent that blew their chances in the big leagues, as well as players international players that could hardly speak any English. I mean, they were the squad that baseball just didn't want back, no matter how good they were or how much they had improved or developed. I mean, they really just played for another chance, but ended up kind of being part of something just bigger, a club of guys just like themselves in a breakfast club sort of way. Harry Steve realized that a team like that could only really be around for a year, maybe two, thanks to all those problems and the craziness that the team endured. But looking back at it now, it's just crazy. It's insane to think that this really did happen on a professional level independent league ball team. I mean, baseball really does have a weird way of bringing everyone together and allowing for this kind of craziness to happen in the first place. So in next week's episode, we're going to talk about another kind of weird and crazy event from the long history of the MLB, as we'll talk about the 1919 World Series, which was historically known for being thrown, and how a data pioneer sports writer from that time, by the name of Hugh Fullerton, was able to spot the fix before it even happened. And then, after all of that, we'll do a preview of the 2022 MLB season, as we make some predictions going into another season of Major League Baseball. Thank you for listening.